Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. All right, it's the good stuff. Ooh, yeah, the Laugh Podcast. We're back. I like it. This is our continuation of our Oscar movies. This is the fifth movie we're doing. We're, we're over the hump now. It's all downhill from here. I haven't seen you guys in ages. Yeah, how's it been? A lot has happened. Yeah? We appreciate you coming out again for this. It was a long trip to make it back here. uh, We are in our hidden location, our external (laughs) hidden location, giving us... uh, Deep in the woods of Gloucester. Ooh, that's a little bit too much information. Gloucester's a big county. I am shocked that you've been in this room for an hour. And you haven't made fun of uh, some of the artwork yet. Well, no, I was admiring your fo- Footloose poster over there, <laughs> Mr. Two Frames. The first time you ever came in here, I'm like, yeah, you know, here's the TV. And you just went, and you were stunned. And I looked and you went, Footloose. 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 You have a Footloose poster. Yeah, it's, it's, it's impressive. Actually, it's an original, uh, 1984. Yeah, I mean, you got that with the... You didn't see it in the movie theater, did you? You weren't old enough. Uh, I wasn't born when this came out right. on February 11th, I believe. Right. He's He's got it on Rewind now. <laughs> he's got He watches it on a loop now. But, that, but no, I like that. That's an original What's wrong poster. With, it's a good movie. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm, okay. It's a I'm just, typical 80s film. I'm just pointing out that he enjoys watching the movie all the time. Well, I hear an undercurrent of mockery. <laughs> well, it's next to a poster of the Hellboy Mechanical Hand... And uh, the so he has a wide array of interests. <laughs> yeah. I like black and white photos from movies where people are playing pool. I have. He's not a film uh, snob. He likes all kinds of. Carlito's way. I need to put that back up. Does he have a Walkman in that poster, or is it a Discman? That's a Walkman. Yeah, I don't think there were compact discs back then. Yeah. I had that it was disc on man. cassette. You had the Discman, right? I had the Walkman, and then I had the. Disc I had the Walkman and the Discman. You probably came up in the world of... No, I had a Walkman at first. MP3 players. You had a Walkman? You had a cassette player? Yeah. I mean, when I was 10. Oh, shit. I had an 8-track. We had 8-track in our station wagon growing up. I didn't get an MP3 player. Actually, in... Was it high school? We had a car that still had an 8-track player, I think in high school. I had an 8-track in my dorm room. I listened to Merle Haggard on a loop. My first stereo had an 8-track player. I got a couple 8-tracks for a birthday. That's awesome. With what my was stereo. Remember? The only one I can remember, sorry, and that we got it as a gift. Not that I'm embarrassed, but it was a Dolly Parton album. Why would you apologize for that? I love Dolly Parton. I don't know. I'm always was it nine to ready five? for you to... It wasn't 9 to 5. It was the movie... It was the album she released... When the film came out, it was called Nine to Five and Other Odd Jobs. That's the but it wasn't the, the film soundtrack, about. is what I'm saying. No, I'm talking about yeah, it was her we, Nine we, to Five album. Yes. We we just call it by the shortened title, Nine to Five. <laughs> well, that's not the official nice. title. Yeah. Not unlike Birdman having a much longer title, right? Um, yeah, no, I like. I had that on Dolly a track tape. I got it for a birthday. You've been to Dollyland. Dollywood, yes, been there twice. No, Dollyland is the other. <laughs> that's, the, the that, that's the one on the west coast. <laughs> that's right. There was no Dollyland. <laughs> There's not. There should. Had be. you been there, you would know. It's, it's a, called it's Dollywood. Just, it's just a. It's a giant field of nothing but cloned sheep. It's impressive that she's the only celebrity to open her own amusement park. 
It's well, you could town. argue that Michael uh, Jackson. Graceland is a bit of an amusement <laughs> park, though not the kind of amusement park that loved Graceland when I went has down. rides per se. Well, there is that. Train, I don't think the, the Neverland tram was that takes ever you open over to, to the, the public as an amusement park. The mm-hmm. tram that takes you across the street over to the mansion—that's a ride. It's an exciting ride. I was hanging my hands out up to the ride or the transportation. <laughs> okay, so we are on our fifth movie. That's right. It's the Imitation <laughs> Game. Uh, this is the biopic of. Mathematician Alan Turing during World War II as he tries to crack the Enigma Code with help from some fellow mathematicians. It's directed by Morton Tildum. He was the guy who directed Headhunters, a Norwegian crime thriller noir drama uh, slash dark comedy, uh, which is probably his most famous film other than this. Yeah, I don't know if you've... Talked about it on the podcast, but I know privately you've talked about your. Yeah, it's a film. really good film. Um, you didn't ever introduce all three of us. Do you do that? He doesn't do that much. Okay. Oh, I, I don't care. Sometimes. I just thought. All right. Well, you're the man. You're the man who needs no introduction. So I just figured, <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> Whatever. You couldn't even get it all the way out before you started laughing. Uh, Full of. I'm the L trade over there. Is Mister Two? You don't have to. I thought we did it every pump. time, but I guess not. And the Registar is over there. How are you, sir? Doing great. You missed the earlier podcast when he would just say he was the host. I'm very excited. To, oh, yeah. you weren't even a co-host. Oh, and as he's looking at me dead in the eye, I'm the host. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm very excited to I'm discuss this biopic. Lifting up my leg and pissing on the microphone. I'm the host. I thought we weren't supposed to curse. No, because we're live and in charge now. We're on the iTunes and... We're not really affiliated any longer with our prior obligations. I gotcha. Yep. We, we, we're we don't really curse. Now. Yeah, we're out there masking. Oh, well, pissing would have gotten a slap from my mother. She Really? That was a curse. She'd have gotten pissed her. off? If I'd said that, she, yeah. Well, my mom used to get upset when I'd say suck, that this sucks. Uh, we have a visitor. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Two Frames' dog is here to enjoy the, the art on the wall. Mm-hmm. His tail is wagging because he knows we're about to discuss a biopic. You can see a picture of <laughs> of Dalton on our website. You can see the back of his head on our homepage. Ooh, he just got right into the microphone. Good boy. <laughs> All right, Dalton, you need to leave. If you go to www.thelifepodcast.com, uh, you'll see him... Uh, Trouncing down the Nolan Trail. And I think there's a photo of him on the About page. So you can see him full-blown. You can see all of the puppy dogs. Which is also where you can contact us if you want to give us any feedback on the show. Mm-hmm. But, back to the imitation game. Uh, stars Benedict Cumberbatch as Alan Turing. And Kira Knightley as Joan Clark. Uh, who is a, another linguist who helps him out. And uh, Tywin Lannister stars as the... Charles Dance. Yeah, yeah. As the person that tries to shut them down. Or he's sort of the adversarial, matter-of-fact, the naval guy yeah, that's it, in no, charge. It has a good cast. Um, a lot of people that you would recognize, but you don't really know their name. Um, Matthew Good as Hugh Alexander. He was good in that. Um, kind of the, the second... 
in charge of Hut 8. Um, he's probably best known for uh, the superhero movie, which uh, I can't remember the name of. Watchmen? Watchmen, thank you. He was in Watchmen and he was also in Stoker, which we talked about. What was he in Watchmen? He was the Batman esque character. The chubby guy? Or no, 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 no. I'm sorry. He wasn't the Batman guy. He was the mastermind. I was going to say. I thought he was kind of the lead. Oh, Ozymandias. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And then he was in Stoker, and, yeah, which we talked Stoker, about. Which... He was great. In. I liked Stoker. Did you watch Stoker? Yeah, I did. I liked that. Was that. All right. Yeah. I didn't love it. Well, <laughs> writing last year. This is sort of a prescient article considering this year's Oscar nominations. But writing last year in the Jewish Daily Forward, Nicholas Meyer's article, uh, Who Cares If Movies Are Historically Accurate, stated the, that the Italians have a phrase, Si non è vero est ben trovato, which roughly translates as, If it isn't true, it ought to be. And Kira Knightley, star of this film, talking about this film, addresses some of the questions about its veracity and says, in all of these stories, often in, often truth in filmmaking, it's not a documentary, it's a drama. So ultimately, you have to go for the drama. So my question to you is, should historical movies like this be factually accurate? And how much leeway are we supposed to give this movie? Because we have to be willing to give this movie some leeway in order to uh, mm-hmm. accept it for its drama. I think they should try to be as accurate as possible within the realm of trying to make a dramatic fictional, not fictional, a dramatic film. Um, and I think they should try to get the major facts correct. But otherwise, I give them... I personally give them wide latitude. It's a film first. Since it's not being presented to me as a documentary, I know that there are going to be some things that are altered, rearranged. That's standard. It's been that way forever. This is not a new discussion. I I don't know. I've gone back and forth on this one, where on our previous podcast we talked about Stephen Hawking's film and where they're rearranging events. And this... You're going to go all the way back to that podcast? Yeah, but oh, on this, they're just down. completely making up stuff. Um, Alan Turing does not break the Enigma Code. The Enigma Code had been broken for a decade. All it, right, well, maybe we should talk a little bit more about it. We'll get back to this discussion, but this movie is ostensibly about this guy who's brought in by mm-hmm. the British government to break uh, the Nazis' codes. Uh, they arrive at a place called Bleckley Park, mm-hmm. and um, it sort of tra- takes his, t- it takes that as sort of a starting point, and it works backwards on his life and what puts him in this situation, mm-hmm. and how he gets to this point where he becomes a famous mathematician. And then it addresses his, uh, he's, he's homosexual in a world where homosexuality is not accepted, and it's in fact illegal. Mm-hmm. So, um, there's, there's that element that's sort of in the movie. I would argue not enough, but I guess we can table that for spoilers because I'm not sure how much of this we really want to spoil. Like, there is a twist sort of at the end yeah. about his life that we probably want to leave out. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm just trying to focus on the, the war effort stuff. And, I mean, 
they make it seem like Turing did everything in breaking the Enigma code. And that's inaccurate. And it's a, it's a misunderstanding of his importance. I mean, he was real important, but like I said, they could already break the code. It's the speed at which they could break the code is what needed to be improved upon. And he did a lot to help them break the code in, you know, minutes or even hours where, you know, they could act on the information. And that is really important, and that's good. But this whole idea that no one thought what he was doing was right with the machine he builds in the movie, um, numerous other machines had already been built to break the Enigma code. And the reason why he had to build a new one was because they were actually changing the Enigma machine all the time. Well, actually, in the movie, they make it seem like it's this static device that the Germans never approved, improved upon. Because the British, you mean? But actually, he never built that. He never built that himself, anyway. That's another big stretcher in the in the movie that he's building this thing by hand. He didn't really have that that mechanical bent. He designed it, mm-hmm. but they. For dramatic purposes, they say that he rebuilt this so that he could. Uh, and he has some like weird connection to it because of a love affair, potential love affair, possible love affair that he had in the past. Which I mean, that's in, stretches the credulity. Do you think that's a spoiler? Yeah, but do do they know. need to do all this stuff to just simplify the plot so that the audience can follow along? Because, I mean, yeah. otherwise you're just explaining stuff for 20 minutes at a time. When I was doing research last night on the Enigma machine, it's just pages and pages, and it, it gets very confusing. It's hard to follow along just reading. I couldn't imagine trying to explain this to an audience. Well, Bleckley Park was it, it was the code-breaking arena for the Allied powers in World War II, and he was one of 10,000 people. Mm-hmm. There, I mean, he was. There were other, like the person that designed his, or that built his computer, Tommy Flowers. You don't even really hear anything about him nowadays, but he's probably more responsible for the development of the computer. A lot of people think of Alan Turing as being the the person behind building the computer, starting the first digital. And he was really important, but he wasn't the only thing that sort of held that that whole code breaking. Well, I mean, the uh, war effort again. involved tens of thousands of people all doing their job. And, I mean, all making important contributions. And Turin, like I said, he made a lot of contributions, but to say he was involved single-handedly in doing this... And, and well, they don't it, say that. They just kind of suggest that he's the, the, he, the but, hero. But, I mean, it. at times, uh, there's a scene later on in the movie, I don't know if we want to get into it, after they've broken the code, and they're deciding on... Should they use this information? Right, not? right. No, yeah, we it, probably shouldn't get into that at all. Not until later. Yeah, we'll do okay. that in the spoilers. Okay. Um, I guess what we should do is try to figure out whether or not people should see the movie. Give our recommendation before we get into all that. What did you think, Mr. Regis? Well, I'll be honest. I knew almost nothing about Alan Turing. I had heard the t- I had heard the term the Turing test before, and only vaguely understood what that meant. Otherwise, I knew nothing about this man, so I went in pretty ignorant, and I found it very entertaining. And based on everything that I saw, it seemed 
like an important movie, a story that people needed to know about. The, not knowing how the, much of it was true or not true. I had no clue. I didn't know anything. The Turing test is the imitation game of the title. And that's um, a test... To, to see whether you're see talking to a computer or not. Right. You have artificial intelligence. Right. I. That's the only thing I knew going into this movie, that there was something called the Turing test. And I assumed it was named after someone who created it. That's all I knew. That's I knew what I wish this movie had been about. When I saw the previews, obviously, I had seen the preview. I got an understanding that he was important in helping to crack the Enigma code. But mm-hmm. that's all I knew. I knew nothing. So I very much enjoyed it. In fact, I think it was my number one pick when we did our top ten of the year. Back then, I had not seen a lot of these movies. So I was... my. Would you think it's changed? Your opinion of the movie has changed? Like, is it still your number one? Well, I don't know. We're going to do an Oscar podcast. So again, oh, okay. if you keep baiting me, I'm not going to take the <laughs> All, right. All right. Fair enough. But I do think it definitely is... I think it belongs on this list, absolutely. I think it would I have been in this, on this... I think it would have been in the top five, unlike the theory of everything. I, I think, I think, it's, it's I think bit, it is a great movie. It might, I think it's a little bit better than the theory of everything. I'm, I'm in between on those two. I think it's better than the theory of everything. I, I like No, I prefer theory of everything a little more, but I mean, it's not a huge difference, and... I have some problems with the historical inaccuracies, but there are a lot of other movies that I like that are historically inaccurate. Braveheart, uh, Rob Roy. American um, Sniper. American Sniper. Even another movie about the Enigma machine, uh, U-571 with Matthew McConaughey, about the recovery of an Enigma machine off of a a German sub. I liked that film. It was an entertaining film. Historically, very inaccurate. And I thought this movie was interesting. Um... There are some details I wish that they went into in more depth, um, especially the exploration of Turing's um, personality and especially the decisions he makes towards the end of his life. I think there was a lot of interesting material that they just didn't even get to. I think, sadly for me, they present him as being sort of mildly... having some some form of Asperger's and, and being isolated in that sense... When the truth is a little bit... I mean, he, he was actually well-liked. He was well-respected and well-liked. He, he never really, I think, felt comfortable enough in his own skin to be really comfortable in any situation mm-hmm. because, um, you know, of his sexuality and his... Uh, I think he's probably intellectually superior to a lot of people, but he still... I don't think he removed himself from people like Sherlock Holmes does, you know. I was going to bring that up. What did you think about that? He's playing a character that on paper is very similar to Sherlock Holmes, especially the Sherlock Holmes character Benedict Cumberbatch plays on the British TV show. Right? Right. But I never felt like I was watching Sherlock Holmes in that performance. I've never seen that Sherlock Holmes, so I can't comment on that at all. Well, that Sherlock Holmes is is a heck of a lot more confident and cocky he just doesn't like people and he doesn't want to you know he doesn't like society and stuff like that i think benedict cumberbatch here playing alan turing he's sort of painting him as someone that's just awkward and and not able to connect with people but someone who's dealing with asperger's which is inaccurate but i mean he played the character that way he plays but i think that they replace someone who has asperger's what they've done in this movie which is a little bit annoying is they replace his 
homosexuality with Asperger's. And because it's not the ass, and I don't think he has Asperger's. I don't think that that's what keeps him outside of, you know, being able to communicate, you know, having a society. I think it's his homosexuality. And that, to me, is sort of a cop-out. I would have preferred them dealing with that issue instead of just, you know, developing him as someone who's just sort of socially awkward for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And then trying to give some twisted uh, backstory that may or may not be true, which it's, I mean, from what I've read and what I understand about him, the, the love story that they generate for him in the past is not really completely accurate the way they presented the film. So, I mean, there, no, that being said, I didn't, I wasn't holding up those standards to the film the of historical accuracy until after I saw American Sniper and I thought, this guy is not anything like, I mean, it's not anything like what, I think that that Chris Kyle guy is like. So let me look into it. <laughs> I started looking into it, and then I started like, well, what I know about Alan Turing is mostly that he was responsible for the ideas of, of artificial intelligence. He, bro- he broke this code and that he was held accountable for the decency laws that they had in um, uh, London at the time or England at the time owing to his homosexuality I kind of knew all that but I didn't know about that character mm-hmm. it wasn't until after, I like the nuances of the character looking and knowing now what I know about him and all the inaccuracies of the movie it makes me think that the movie think less of the movie not like and not enjoy it as much and you know I don't know I think how that's much just of that thing. is um, just an acting choice we often see actors taking a different take on a fictional character, whether it's a Shakespearean character or some other character that's just been in a lot of movies. And they do something different with the role. They see something when they read that script, and they just make a conscious decision to play that character differently. Is this Benedict Cumberbatch just deciding, I'm going to play the character no, the, in this style? No, I don't think so, because too much of it is in the... The, the script story. Well, can even just be the person writing the story. They are deciding to do a different take on this character. I'm betting it's the Weinsteins to make this thing palatable to the masses. That's that's what I think. I think, actually, I th- I don't know that I agree with that. I think there's an intersection of writer, director, actor, and maybe producers as well. In the choices that they make, for example, you were talking about how you wish they had uh, focused more on his homosexuality. I think anytime you do the story of a person, there are a million choices you have to make. And one of the things that I've read a lot recently about this kind of movie that's successful versus other kinds of movies that aren't successful is making the conscious choice to focus in on a limited amount of time or focus in on a specific angle. I think here there were thematic ideas that kind of focused a lot of the decisions that were made, in my opinion. I think ultimately by the end of the movie, all of these people, director, screenwriter, whoever else was involved in coming up with the movie that we saw, took the story of Alan Turing and his life 
and and wanted to make some thematic statements rather than necessarily presenting a wholly accurate documentary style story of what he did meaning the hypocrisy of wanting this man to do all that he did to help his country and then conversely jail him or force him to make other choices based on outdated laws so i think that was kind of steered some of the choices that they made in my opinion yeah and i i think they do a pretty good job of communicating those things but they change him i mean he's not the the alan turing that we see in the imitation game i don't think is it's it's not even a loose it's a it's a thin pencil drawing of who this guy really was it's not a fully fleshed out colorful photograph with or you know uh, I, I don't think it's fully fleshed out. Can we get into spoilers? But also, I, do I think, think yeah, yeah. it is important. At this also, point I to think talk about a huge part of the story they decided to tell was about him helping to break that code. That was a big part of this movie, mm-hmm. right? So it wasn't was... necessarily just about Alan Turing. He was actually a smaller part of this larger story that they were trying to cram into this movie. I, I like. I, I think there maybe is another movie out there that's more about the life of Alan Turing. I don't think that's what this movie was. So, your advice is to just take the movie for what it's worth and enjoy the ride? And Not then, necessarily. I, I'm learning a lot from listening to the two of you. Like I said, I went into this pretty ignorant and didn't know all of the, the historical inaccuracies. And I'm not saying ignore those things, but I am saying I think anytime you see a movie based on the life of a real person, you have to understand that there are going to be changes made. And you have to decide for yourself whether you think those things are acceptable or not. How far did they go? Did they go too far? I think that's always a little legitimate discussion. I don't say ignore it completely. Mm-hmm. For me, because I saw it before I knew anything, I was able to enjoy it completely with no... And hearing the things you've told me now, I still don't think it matters. I like the story that they told. If okay. I... Yeah, I don't know what else to say. Well, I, I like a lot of the film. I wish it was ten minutes longer. Um, because at the end of the movie, they just say, Turing... Or, we're yeah, no, spoilers, we're not in spoilers right? yet. Oh, I thought... No, no, no. What else do you want to say? Anything else you want to say before spoilers? No, 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 no. no. I, I, All right, I'd I have think, to get into spoilers to make the rest of my argument. Personally, I think that this is a good enough movie that people should go watch it. Yeah. And then study, or learn up on Alan Turing, the person... And then see where the movie changes things, and then see how that affects your viewing of the film after having watched it. I don't and I think that's the value of any movie based on the life of a real person. Hopefully, if it's interesting enough, it'll make you want to learn more. Right. And maybe you'll learn that there were things that were wrong and changed. But there you go. The the movie has spurned you to learn about someone you didn't know anything about. Good. Mm-hmm. Good so movie. I think it's a valuable story that people should hear. See. All right. Yeah. No, I agree with all that. So we're going to spoiler we're gonna territory. Go we're going to go into our new spoiler theme song. You are a spoiler. You ruined everything. You're a spoiler. You gave it away. You're a spoiler. Spoiler. What have you done? One of the things I think 
where this movie falls apart is on its ending. Because it just gives you this little epilogue, little bit of text, and it says Turing committed suicide. And apparently his death is actually very controversial. He died of cyanide poisoning. And some people do believe he poisoned himself. Other people believe it was an accident because he was doing experiments in his home with cyanide. Um, they even reference that right at the beginning of the movie. He's cleaning up some cyanide from the floor when the detectives come to talk to him. I would have liked to see what the director, writer, and actor came up with with how to play that death scene. If you want to have him committing suicide, I don't think that that's bad or wrong. I think thematically that could have added a lot to the story. But I want to see that scene. I want to see that. I, I want to see him suffer more um, with the chemical castration. They mention it. He has one scene with Kira Knightley. But if it was affecting him that badly, I would have liked to see the performance. I think Benedict Cumberbatch could have been very interesting I didn't with that. And like, that's where I wish the film had gone on for another 10 or 15 minutes and finished the, the story of Alan Turing. And they, I know you have to make decisions on what part of someone's life you're going to talk about. I do think his death is important enough where it should have been in the movie. This is where they... This is while I was watching the movie. This is the point when I actually said, "Wait a minute!" I, and I didn't really know this to be true, but it felt so artificial for the Care Knightley character to come back into his life right before his death, and then them have this this conversation at the end. It seemed to me, I mean, his death happened ten years after the actual occurrences. I think he died in nineteen fifty three or nineteen fifty two. Something and, like that. Yeah. And um, I could buy into the fact that he loved her, or they had a really strong relationship at the time. I don't believe that they had that strong of a relationship 10 years later. I just didn't believe it in the movie. Mm-hmm. And so... Well, it that? felt very, very much like a screenplay. Very forced. Because she comes in and says the same thing that he said two other times and someone else said to him. Yeah. I mean, it was very screenplay-ish, for sure. She tells him, you know, you're a wonderful person, the world's better because of you. Cue epilogue, Turing kills himself. It just... I, I didn't know where I was supposed to go with that. The movie was just jerking me around, I felt, at that point. He committed... If he committed suicide, he did it by lacing this apple with cyanide. Mm-hmm. And he claimed... Or people assume that the reason he did this, or if he does, if he did it that way, was to protect his mother from the truth mm-hmm. of his suicide. And I think that that's an interesting angle. Well, like he's at the at the. I mean, his relationship with his mother was was kind of important. It's not even mentioned in the film. I was going to say, do we even see his mother in the film? No. I don't remember seeing her. No, so I don't it, think they even mention it. And if it, that well, decision he, to protect his mother at the end of his life was that important to him. It would have been interesting to see him with his mother some. Yeah, I, I, I think would he would think. have... Well, see... I thought there was a scene with his mother. Early on, his... Maybe. He was put into boarding schools right away. Like, I don't think his... He was... I, I think he was, For some reason, I think he was else. born overseas, and then his parents stayed overseas and sent him to, like, boarding schools. So was, there was that isolation... Okay, for some reason, I remember his, his family, there being a scene maybe. with his mother, and his mother was Vanessa Redgrave, but clearly I'm thinking of a different movie. I don't know. I don't remember having some sort of stroke. At any rate, it wasn't that important in the movie. <laughs> I just Honestly, laughed about you having a stroke. 
I just seriously, I ve- I very clearly remember a scene with him and his mother, and his mother was Vanessa Redgrave. But clearly, I'm remembering something else. Well, the, I don't know the what movie I just saw. I wish. I mean, I know we got to go with the movie that we we've got, mm-hmm. and the Imitation Game is fine for what it was. I think that they could have made a better movie if they had dealt with that relationship of his him and his mother, maybe. And then, pretty much those ten years after Bleckley Park and after the Enigma Code had been solved. Like, you could have started oh, the movie surely. I think there are several movies you could make about this. Because he gets found, uh, he, when he gets uh, arrested, he actually called the police in because he, he thought that he knew the person that broke into his house was his lover. And, I mean, that, did they even mention that in the movie? I don't know. It, it seems like if it is... No, yeah, the, 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 the detective guy, noodles the, it through. Yeah, the detective... Well, he, he, he tells him that. I think it's uh, this guy I'm having an affair with. In, in real life. Apparently, Turing was much more open about his homosexuality. But he was conflicted about it because when they gave him the opportunity to take the estrogen injections, he also backed it up with visits to psychiatrists. And or he was a, a court ordered to go to see a psychiatrist. That person became really important in his life. He actually spent time with that guy afterwards. And they, I mean, him and his family. They took him on vacations and stuff. He wrote letters to his to the younger daughter. The daughter said that he was a lovely man that would sit on the floor with her and teach her how to play card games. I mean, not the kind of guy that's in the movie, right? Not the kind of like removed. Um, my life is horrible and nobody understands me. That that kind of twisted, tortured, you know, isolated soul. He was someone that, he was willing to do this thing because he thought that it might help him a- attach to society better. I mean, it's sad. It's great. Hopefully, I mean, it's not the world that we live in now, necessarily. But it's, you know, it's an ex- it's a... It's an atrocity. It's not. It's did. not who. It's not who he really was. The movie's not who he really was. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I just think that would have been more interesting. There's a movie called uh, "Before Night Falls" about a Cuban poet, um, Ronaldo Arenas. I know it came out in 2001. About. I didn't see it, but I know what movie you're talking about. It's a. It does a really good job with those themes. Like, he's a gay man, grown, you know, in communist Cuba. And he's uh, also an intellectual and an artist, and you know they don't like those. Those are like the trifecta of three bad things for mm-hmm. uh, communist government. And uh, his story is really interesting. The way that movie plays out, I wish this movie had been more like that. That would have been a much more interesting movie to watch than the stuff about the Enigma Code. And all I'm that. sitting here thinking as we're having this discussion for the second time, it's really two different schools of criticism. And I don't know what the names of them are, but just with just like when you go to read a novel, how much do you have to know about the history, the background, before you read the novel to appreciate it, versus can you just read the book and enjoy it on its own merits? They're two valid ways to approach a novel. I think the same thing applies to these movies. You can go in and enjoy the movie on its own merits, and or you could also take this approach, which is weigh it against the truth, the biography, the history. I'm, I guess I'm willing to do that with this movie. It's like, mm-hmm. This movie makes. I'm just me bringing that up. Yeah, as yeah. A, uh, no, I mean, like I said, it struck me as I was sitting here listening. 
I mean, I, I wish the movie was more truthful. I can forgive it for that. And I'm fine that it has its own spin on Turing's life. I just wish I saw more of the spin. I guess. I, I, I want more of the events. I want to see what, oh, did, well, not what more do you the do spin. with that. You want more of the... I want him to keep on spinning. <laughs> All right. Sh- show me how he died. Um, apparently he tried to commit... Uh, or he tried to cut out the device that was implanted in his hip that was delivering the estrogen. Because it was malfunctioning and he was getting too much estrogen. And he almost killed himself trying to cut this thing out of his hip. I would like to see that. And, you know, what do you do with that scene? Yeah, they gloss over it. Um, I need more Cumberbatch. You do? You're going to get a lot more Cumberbatch. He's got seven films in pre- and post-production. Done. He's the he's the white I Samuel... I actually think in another year he might have won Best Actor. Yeah. He's the white Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, no, uh, so... Everyone agrees, good film, worthy of watch. Wait, did, did you learn the first rule of improv? You taught it to me <laughs> last last time. Oh, wait, hold on. Was that improv, or are we having critical argument? <laughs> He's the it's white two different things. No. If you want to shift into improv, sure. I thought we were... I didn't realize you had made that shift. I apologize. You need some sort of signal. I guess you could even say eight, because isn't he, like, tagged to be in the new, um... He's going to be in the new Star, Star Trek. Wars. He's going to be in well, the new Star Well, he's already Trek. in the new Star Trek. That ship has sailed. Oh, well, that wasn't even listed on the IMDb page. I heard he well, might be in the third Star be. Trek. The third Star to, Trek is what I'm talking he about. possibly could be in Star Wars. He's playing Doctor Strange. He's not in Star Strange. Wars now, right now, is he? Or is he, like, a cameo or something? I think it, he's It's in, hard to find. I mean, yeah, they're being very cagey about who's actually in it, aside from... Five or six people they've named for sure. Everyone else is kind of a, we're not going to let you know yet. Oh, all right. mm-hmm. They're trying to keep it everything under a shroud of secrecy. Uh, anything more we want to say about Imitation Game? Go see it. I think we've said it. Enjoy it. Let us know what you think by contacting us on thelaughpodcast.com or uh, sending us a tweet on Twitter. Uh, we're at the Laugh Podcast. And we're on the Facebook. Ooh, the Facebook. And uh, you can take. Uh, part there, are other bi- there are other biopics you can see if you study Facebook. The social network? The social network, yeah. It's a good one. I yeah. just keep trying to throw in biopic. Oh, okay. <laughs> you haven't <laughs> yeah. picked up on it yet. But if you go to uh, Facebook or you go to our website, there's a link to I've said to it like the... five or six times. I keep waiting for a reaction. Apparently it only upsets you when Brian says it. <laughs> there's a link to our Academy Award uh, poll. So what about Stitch or Stitcher? Didn't I already do that? <laughs> no. You did it for the other podcast. So it it sounds like you don't this know much about the Stitcher, Lasky. I've got to get Snitcher. water, so uh, we're done as far as I'm concerned for this particular one. <laughs> Tell us about Snitcher. Stitcher. Switcher. Stitcher is a radio on demand. It's the award-winning free app that's available on iOS, Android, uh, Nook and Kindle, as well as in over 4 million car dashes. Uh, we've partnered with them, and you can find a link on our website. Uh, just click, and you can download the app. And you can listen to us anytime, anyplace. And we mentioned the iTunes, too, right? We're also on the iTunes, and we would be very grateful if people could uh, rate us and or uh, write a review. Because uh, right now we're new and noteworthy, and we're... Uh, no longer going to be new. Yeah, so we, we've got to nail that noteworthy part. But under uh, TV and films, we've been new and noteworthy for the last week and a half. Uh, we're hoping to make the main page, but we can only do it with uh, with uh, listeners like you. And so. uh, next time, 
I think we're going to look at Boyhood. Yep, Boyhood's on. Boyhood's our next uh, Oscar Best Picture nominee. We're going to break down for you, and then we're also going to do Selma, I think we have left, and... We're going to finish up with Birdman. Ooh, the Birdman. All right, Um, so we look forward to giving you guys uh, some good pod. Look forward to hearing from you. Look forward to talking to you again. (laughs) For uh, the Regastar, who's out of the room right now, he says goodbye. Mr. Two Frames over there. I say it's been a pleasure. <laughs> I'm the L-Trade. Pox at Bodum, everybody. There be dragons. <laughs> <laughs>